another week, another Apple Circle podcast. Usually, you know, we we look forward to figuring out all the new news, everything that's going on. That did not happen this week. So we've got some different topics we're going to talk about. I'm in a little bit of a different scenario here. You can see that I'm actually recording with the iPhone 13 Pro in cinematic mode. So let me know how that looks. It's doing that artificial blur in the Mm. background. I'm at my parents' house, so I had to change up the setup once again. You know, if you've been watching this podcast, you know I love to change my setup. So this is like the ultimate change. But I'm here with Robert Rosenfeld. Okay, we've talked about it in other episodes. We've teased it long enough. Before we get into all the other housekeeping, I think let's just get out of the way. You got your MacBook Pro. Yeah. How is it? How are you liking it? Uh, it has been incredible. I've done like a couple different back-to-back exports for different videos, like some shorter, some longer, and everything I've thrown at this, it has handled. What's cool to me, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, is I was never able, even on that i9 MacBook Pro, I could not run Final Cut in high-quality mode. I had too many issues, and I had to run it in better performance. And I guess you could use proxies and stuff like that, but it was just easier to just kind of just do original media and performance, all that stuff. Uh, But now I can run it in high quality. I can use all these different plugins and motion VFX stuff that we use all the time that you just really couldn't before. And the entire process has been super seamless. Final Cut has sort of been buggier than I would have liked, but I don't think that's an Apple Silicon thing. I think that's just Final Cut. So what six or whatever? Yeah, what what bugs did you have? Because I, I when I was doing it towards the end of one project I was working on, I had it crash on me a lot. What what issues were you having? So two in particular, and I think these have sort of been addressed. I'm not sure or not with ten dot six dot one, but two biggest ones was one uh, loading a library would take forever. So when I'd open up a project, each new project has its own library. If you don't know Final Cut Lingo, it's kind of like the I guess, how do I make this simple? In Premiere, you have like a project. It's a project. You open it up. It has all the um, B-roll, all the clips and stuff like that. It would take way too long. It'd take like 30 seconds to load, load, load up. It was sort of annoying. I think that's been fixed with the latest update. And the other one I'm still having issues with is the waveforms of the clip take forever to generate. So I've seen people have that issue. Yeah. When I'm editing, I like to kind of zoom in and zoom out. And usually when I'm editing sort of just the main A-roll, I can cut with the waveform. So if I mess up, I can sort of see where that flub is. And then I can just cut that out just by not having to play the whole thing back in real time, but just by like cutting by the waveform. For some reason, it takes forever to regenerate if you zoom in and zoom out. And that is a little bit better, but still not completely fixed in the latest updates. So those have been the two biggest things for me. I know some people have issues with... Um, audio keyframing is like crashing final cut and there's been some <laughs> other stuff i've had some random huh, crashes. that might be what was crashing my final cut because i was doing some audio keyframing i heard i i can't think of if that was at the exact same time but it very easily could have been i don't know if the latest version has fixed that but i know in uh, particularly some people i know who had that issue i think uh it might have been fixed so i know that was a big issue in the last version so anyways final cut bugs aside performance has been great I'm amazed at how fast things are just to load in general. One of the cool Apple uh, silicon perks that I sort of forgot about because I never really used it on the M1 was when you change like display resolution, it just does it instantaneously. There is no having to like wait for the displays to regenerate and stuff like that. So that has been cool. Um, It's just a better Mac experience. It's not like I'm uh, using something totally different. I have... Honestly, I haven't even opened it. It's sitting in clamshell mode. I set oh, it up. That's in clamshell. I set it up with the keyboard. <laughs> great. The notch with the display, all that. And then I have it in clamshell mode. And just it, that's how it's been sitting just because I never use it in laptop mode. But it has been great. 
Um, and to that point, my one quick note that might have been an issue for me was someone in like a Reddit thread I was reading was talking about how the hinge has been redesigned with these new MacBook Pros and how it allows for better airflow, particularly when the laptop is closed. So I know mm. I use mine in clamshell mode all the time. I think you do as well. Yeah. And apparently with the old design of that hinge, it was like forcing the air down and yeah. not out. So it was just sort of creating this heat trap that I think might have been one of the reasons why I was having so many kernel panics was that when the machine was closed, there just wasn't enough airflow for that hot air to basically dissipate, and it was just sort of heating up the machine. I don't know if that's the case or not. I if, Yeah, no, I, I had heard that too, that it was specifically designed to be used open, which kind of makes sense. It is a right. laptop. But, I mean, there's so many people that use these in clamshell mode that you would think they would design for that. Apparently, they didn't. Uh, and I actually, since I heard that that might have been a thing, I started... In the little dock I have, the stand, I would actually put it upside down so that yeah. the fans and everything were pointing up. I don't know if it actually helped, but I mean, hopefully that's not an issue anymore, though, with these new laptops. So, yeah, with the new ones, apparently they're now set up so they blow out. So even if you have it sort of laying flat on a desk, that air is still expelling to the back. But like you, even with that being the case, I still flip this upside down and have the air uh, or the vents going Doesn't up hurt. just to sort of well, help with ventilation. Actually, it could help. It well, could I, hurt for we, all we know. But. We'll see. We'll see. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, fans uh, on FanDoys, super quiet in most instances, unless it's like really being pushed with Final Cut Pro exports. And I will say what's funny is now I'm so much more conscious of the fans in this 27-inch yeah. iMac than I ever was before because now everything's super quiet. I do have a super loud video uh, storage thing in the closet, and that thing has super loud fans. I hear that all the time. But if that was off and the iMac was off, it'd be silent. And now I'm kind of like, ooh, the uh, dream of a totally silent... Uh, desktop sounds sort of better and better. So quick thoughts, as everyone has said, as you have said before, really great, really cool to see. And I'm happy with the 14. I uh, didn't go with 16-inch. Uh, I like how it's a little bit more compact on my desk, uh, less of a footprint, and uh, no regrets so far. So that's my nice. sort of one-week update with that. Uh, it's interesting game. because... You know, usually when the Apple products come out, it's like there's like two, three days where everyone's super excited and then it kind of dies down. But because of all the delays with shipping, like it really has extended there. People are still getting their laptops in and the excitement is still going and going. So I, I, I love these laptops. I Like I said last week, I returned my last one. I'm going to get something else. It's just I don't know exactly which one. And I'm like, eh, do I really like at this point, if I order, it's not going to get here till the beginning of the year. So it's like I'm not in a huge rush, uh, but I. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Laptops are great. Uh, we didn't get into any of the other housekeeping stuff because I wanted to get right to that. But if you want to participate, you want to ask us questions, you want to share your experience, anything you want to talk about, we do have the Apple Circle hotline. To get to that, you just send a message, a voicemail to 949-354-3508. It's a phone number. No one's going to be on the other end, so you don't have to worry about that. But you can send us a question and anything, and we'll talk about it here on the show. But that brings us to the topics. I there's a few things that that we always kind of ponder and think about, at least behind the scenes when we're talking to each other, especially when it comes to like Apple. And it's it's really like almost what's the dream scenario for this company and other companies that would lead to like the best outcome for us as the consumer? Mainly like what company should Apple buy? What company should they partner with? That would really lead to, I think, the best products for us. And I know one that we've kind of talked personally about is Apple TV Plus, especially when that first came out. So there was a lot of questions about how it was going to perform. But now that we're a little bit in, 
Robert, what do you think about Apple TV Plus? Because if there's one area where I think Apple could partner with someone or even like some kind of production company or something like that, Apple TV Plus seems like the most natural uh, way to do that. I am so conflicted about Apple TV Plus because for the longest time, this is what everyone was clamoring for. Everyone wanted an Apple streaming service. And now that it's here... I feel so mad about it. And I almost am like, do they really need to do this? And I will say to their credit, they have some really good shows. Uh, the originals are good. Obviously, they push uh, Ted Lasso, Morning Show, Foundation. There's some others. We can kind of discuss what shows you've seen and your thoughts on that. Um, but I think the biggest issue Apple is facing right now with TV Plus is there's a lot of brand confusion. Um, there was another podcast I was listening to just yesterday. I think it was... Um, accidental tech podcast and they're kind of talking about this where people are confused about where these shows are how do you get apple tv plus a lot of people still think because there was that promotion that you have to buy a new iphone to get apple tv plus <laughs> where do you go to watch it what also just grinds my gears more than anything is even though i know where to go you go within the tv plus app you can't like continue a show that you were watching before you have to like go and search and find the show there are so many little things that, to me, make Apple TV Plus more mediocre than I think it should be, and I guess we could talk about a number of things. One is they're totally missing a back catalog of content. It's very hard to understand where to go to find these things because Apple TV refers to the app, it refers to the hardware, it refers to also Apple TV Plus, and I just think that there is this general brand confusion about what this service is. So now, what are we, like two years into this, something like that? Um, I am probably, I think I'm like nearing the end of another like promotional period I had where I was like getting that $5 a month <laughs> waived. I don't think I'm going to continue just because to me, uh, I don't know if the value is really there. And I guess because Ted Lasso is gone and I'm kind of watching Morning Show. But anyways, I guess your thoughts as a whole, before we get into how they could fix this, what are your thoughts on sort of the current state of Apple TV? TV Plus, you know, TV? Yeah, I know there's so many different ways to say it. I guess, yeah, I come I kind of in the same boat, but really it's just that I don't watch that many of the shows. So it's not so much that I think the shows are bad or anything. I just have no interest. Like we, I started Ted Lasso, my wife finished it, but I just, I just don't really care about watching TV that much. So it's like, for me personally, it's not really something I care about, but I totally agree about the interface part because it's like you go into the TV, Apple TV <laughs> app on the Apple TV, and then there's like a TV plus section, but that's within all the other Apple TV stuff, like from all the other apps that you have. So it's like, it's confusing. I, I completely agree with that. And it's like, I know where it is, but uh, I, I guess in Apple's frame of mind, like they, maybe they're thinking like, just go into this app and we'll serve you the TV that you're going to want to watch. And it works a lot of the time. Like you go in there and they'll say like, oh, continue watching the show. But a lot of time it just doesn't. And you have to search for exactly what you're looking for. Um, that's kind of kind of a side note. If this, the Apple TV, I think like encompasses one of the biggest tech problems, not just from Apple, but with every company, which is, the, whenever they announce a product or they talk about a product, they have this way they envision you using a product hmm. that maybe some people do, but I think a lot of people don't like, you know, they always like, like for Google, for instance, with like their pixel phones or whatever, it's like you live in the pixel or the, yeah, the pixel ecosystem. You're talking to the assistant all day. Like everything you do is through Google assistant. Uh, it's going to take your phone calls. It's going to make appointments for you. And it's like, 
Okay, yeah, in theory, that'd be great, but I'm just going to call the doctor myself because I want to make sure it like, doesn't mess up or anything. Like, I don't live in the ecosystem like that, and I think most people don't. Same thing goes for Apple TV. It's like, maybe if I used it perfectly the way Apple wanted, like, I searched everything through Siri, and, like, I had the Apple TV app only, and then maybe it would work perfectly, but it's just one of those products that's a little fragmented. But on the other hand, every time I have watched a show, like... Uh, I've watched a few of the shows, or at least started some of the shows. Let's put it that way. Uh, they've always been pretty good. I think they're really high quality. I think the content is like decent. Um, obviously, there's shows that some people are going to like, some people aren't going to like. But in terms of just having shows, I thought, one, they maybe would not be as good quality. But I think they they did pretty good there. But two, I was I was a little worried that they would start with like six shows like they did. And then like slowly trickle out new stuff. But they've been pumping out stuff pretty quickly. So like, it's kind of a, yeah, like you said, a give and take the service is good, but there's some things that could definitely be fixed with it. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like the whole idea of the Apple TV app, the TV app was that it was like a, um, what's the word? It's sort of, shop. yeah, it, not con what I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It basically would pull all of your different streaming services, except, uh, except Netflix into one place, sort of combining everything together it was aggregating it would aggregate all your services together and it would show you sort of different content that you were watching across various services that was nice and made sense until apple tv plus came out where it just makes it even harder to find those apple tv plus originals so honestly i love that feature on the apple tv i love sort of having that one place to go to see everything from across various uh streaming platforms but I feel like, honestly, they should get rid of it on the iPad and the iPhone and the Mac and just make that TV app just for TV+. Plus. That at least makes the most sense to me. Yeah, and I get, maybe maybe it's just me and that's just how I watch TV. But, like, if it's not live TV, I don't necessarily want anything served to me. Like, I know kind of what I'm looking for or I want to go search for it. And the TV app really tries to push stuff to you that it thinks you will like. It's like... I don't know. I, I'm not mad about it, really. It's just I, I think there could be some differences. But what do you think they could do to kind of address all this? Well, the first thing they need to do is figure out they do a lot of advertising and they spend a lot of money on marketing. They need to market how to subscribe to this service because I have yet to meet a person uh, in real life that watches any of the Apple TV Plus content. Like I know my parents and family members, they're all confused as to where to go. I feel like someone needs to give clear directions as to where to go to sign up, how much it costs, and what you get access to. Like do your parents, for example, or anybody in your family that you know, do they subscribe or at least know how to subscribe to TV Plus? My parents do, but I think I did that for them when it yeah. first came out. And it's just like recurring. Like I, because I was looking at their Apple TV and it's definitely there, but I don't know if they did it themselves or if it was just like, because I remember when Servant came out, we watched it. So I'm sure I set it up for them. <laughs> that's, and I think that's a very um, common case for many people. I think for my parents, I try to get them on TV plus, but they don't understand the channels. And it's also a little weird because it's on some devices, but not others. So it's on Roku's, but if you have an older Roku, it doesn't work. Apple has done a good job to their credit of getting this as uh, on many, getting it on as many platforms as possible. But I still just think it's a little confusing as to how you have to go up uh, or how you rather go through the process to sign up and get the content and stuff like that. Um, 
but like you said, the content has been good. But one of the things that we always talked about from the beginning that I still think makes a lot of sense and Apple could do this is, okay, they're partnering with many good um, various production companies, uh, studios that are producing these shows and movies and stuff like that. But if they were to buy a back catalog or partner with a service for a back catalog, that would make this sort of an irresistible service that you had to have. And maybe... I could see because there was this Apple Disney relationship, maybe at some point there were these talks about this. Because if you could think about it, if Apple TV Plus, if there was a world where Disney Plus didn't exist and the Apple TV library included the entire Disney catalog, which also now includes 20th Century Fox and all that, that would be game over. That would be an unbeatable deal. Even if there was an Apple TV Plus, Disney Plus combo, that might be a great way for Apple to bolter, uh, bolster the numbers on this uh, subscriber number. Uh, but I guess because of Disney Plus's success and sort of where they've gone with that direction, Apple TV Plus is sort of just left on its own with a catalog of good stuff, but not great stuff. Certainly missing a good back catalog that gets many people to subscribe to things like Peacock and Hulu and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I I think Disney was the one that made the most sense from the beginning, just because Apple and them had this this relationship. And I mean, didn't they come out at very similar times? I think Disney Plus came out first, but they were very right. close to each other. Now, I don't think Apple has said how many subscribers they have, but uh, Disney Plus apparently has 118 million subscribers worldwide, which is pretty crazy that's that's a lot of people which makes sense because i mean if you have kids you're probably going to get disney plus if you like marvel which is a lot of people you're probably going to get disney plus if you like star wars same thing uh they just have a really good content not to mention all the other things that they keep buying up because they keep buying all these other media companies um i so like imagine if apple was like you know five bucks a month and then you can add it to your Disney Plus account or some something like that. Like you can also get these shows and they just had like a strategic partnership. That would make that would make a lot of people like want to get the service. And it's it's almost like you go there for the other content, which I think is the whole point of the back catalog. Like for Netflix, for instance, when they had friends and they had the office, you would get it because you wanted to watch those shows, and then they would serve you these other shows, like, oh, check these ones out too. And then you get sucked in, and that's really how it worked. Apple TV, you have to buy it first for really no reason, maybe just the hype of the show. And then hopefully that is enough to keep you there. Uh, Maybe it's working. I mean, I I don't think the shows that they have now are bad. Ted Lasso definitely got kind of mainstream, uh, what's the word, like mainstream hype. Like people really like that show. So, I mean, I, I think they're doing a good job. It's just, it would be interesting to see what else they could do instead of just trying to make better and better shows, which I'm all for, but... It would be nice to to see something else, especially like they could partner with like so many companies are doing this now. Like Peacock just came out. Paramount Plus just came out. So like there's so many different companies that are trying to make their streaming services. If there was just one that had a really great back catalog, like Peacock, for example, when that first came out, like partner with Comcast, NBC, and then you can say like, here's a bundle deal because that's kind of what. Disney Plus is doing like you can get Hulu, you can get Disney Plus, and you can get ESPN all in one bundle. There you go. So I, I think that's kind of a what they could do to make make it better. But overall, I think they're doing good. It would just 
it's just like, yeah, I think we're in the same boat. It's like, I'm not excited about it. What could get me excited about it? To give a little context here too, uh, as of a few months ago, Netflix had, which again, Netflix is a whole other beast. They've been in no, this business yeah. for years. Uh, 214 million subscribers. So <sighs> that's not as hot. I mean, that is very big, but it's not that crazy considering like Disney Plus just came out a year ago. Or so a year and a half. Two so years 214 ago. for Netflix. Disney has how many? Over 100? Let's say 118. 118. Apple TV apparently as of September had less than 20 million. Ooh. So just to give some context... Yeah. They are very, I don't know if they're dead last. They're probably not dead last because everybody has a, a subscription yeah. service these days, but they're very small uh, sort of in this. They're a small fish in this big pond and uh, they have a lot of catching up to do. Uh, Matt, is there at this point, since everybody has their own service, I guess there are two ways Apple could go. They could either partner with someone like a Disney or a Peacock or a Paramount and they could offer their uh, subscription services complimentary as a bundle, so you could get one and then get the other and pay one price. Uh, or they could acquire a back catalog from a media company. Is there a media company left that doesn't have a service or doesn't have some kind of partnership that would make sense to sort of uh, let Apple sort of buy their back catalog, get access to the streaming rights for this stuff? Does one still exist? Ah. Uh. Not not that I could think of, not one that's big enough that it would matter. The only one I could possibly think of is NBC. Yes, they have Peacock, and yes. Um, but the reason I say that is because they actually are letting HBO, which I don't think is owned by Comcast, or is it? Maybe it is. AT&T, um, I think, is Warner. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think they're partnered. Um, well, they are partnered, though, because Friends is on HBO Max, um, which is a obviously an NBC property. So, or is it? Now I'm confused. Maybe it's Warner Brothers. I think yeah, yeah, it's Warner Brothers. Yep. But it was on NBC, so they must have some kind of right. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. Okay. Well, never mind, because I think it is Warner Brothers, which is why it's on HBO Max. So scrap that whole idea. Basically, my point being, H HBO Max or NBC would be, I think, good ones to go with. Actually, the more I think about it, HBO would be a really good partner with Apple TV because they have. It's kind of like the same idea. Like we make our own shows, and we also have like a catalog. So it's like that would be a good partnership. Like pay. 15 bucks a month, you get HBO and Apple TV+. Plus. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're just counting on making better and better shows. They're winning more awards. So hopefully one of them will really pop off, kind of like Ted Lasso did. And if they have a few of those in a row, then maybe you'll have a Netflix situation, which is kind of what happened to them with um, like House of Cards and stuff like that, where it really started to take off. So HBO Max, as of right now, is not too far ahead of Apple. They're at 73 million subscribers, still, I guess, like triple the size. Uh, but I will say, personally, for me, if there's one streaming service that continues to add value and one that I like and use all the time, it's HBO Max. They yep, always have totally good stuff agree. on there. And maybe this is a good discussion to have. And something we had speculated before is that maybe Apple was a little too late on this because yeah. when they sort of, uh, sort of joined the phrase on this in what, 2019-ish? I think it was 2019, yeah. Everybody's doing their own subscription service. Everybody, there's Discovery Plus, there's Disney Plus, there's everybody's got their plus. Maybe Apple was just too late on this. Maybe this needed to be launched back in 2017 or 2018 before so Apple could have purchased one of these back catalogs because I think we had speculated at the time, I think even before HBO Max, that Apple should have acquired Warner Media or acquired their catalog for basically Apple just write the check whatever it costs yeah. because that would have given them not only the ability to attract new people 
with this new high quality content, but would have given people to subscribe, uh, purpose to subscribe rather on day one because they're getting access to this enormous back catalog. That is what Apple is missing is like they're one of the only streaming services out there, one of a few that doesn't have this back catalog to uh, attract people. And I think that's where the sort of, it's going to be a tough uphill battle for them. Maybe they just got in a little too late. Yeah, I I think that's definitely part of it. I don't know. There's no, really no answer here because I don't see Apple ever doing anything about it except for just trying to make better and better shows. But also it's like, well, until they do something that really gets me excited, then like I'll probably still have it because it's like five bucks. So I don't really care about that. Like it's worth it to me for the off chance that there's a good show. But yeah, it's just not it's not something I really care about that much. So let's move in a different direction, one where Apple has still a lot of room to grow. Maybe they don't have as many options as they once did, but still an exciting one. Let's talk Apple Car for a moment, because this is one that has been very controversial. It seems like this project keeps getting setback after setback after setback. There are leadership changes, there are supply issues, there are leaks coming out about who Apple's talking to. Very little is known as of right now on where this project is going, but the thought is, the prevailing theory, is that Apple is looking to build their own car, that there was a thought a while ago that it was just going to be this technology that Apple would license, but no, what we know right now is Apple is building their own electric car that could be made by Hyundai Kia. That's I think, was the sort of the last, the big, last big manufacturer. Rumor, yeah. Maybe it's somebody else. Um Someone in the auto industry would build this Apple car to Apple specifications and be all electric. It'd be premium. It'd be luxury. This would be sort of Apple's next big thing. The question, though, on that now is, as we see more and more traditional automakers make the move to EV, we see more and more EV startups continue to take shape. It's kind of a, a difficult situation for Apple because we don't know where Apple's going to land in this landscape. And maybe this is like the Apple TV Plus situation exactly. where <laughs> they're just getting in a little too late and they've yeah. got to have a big draw. So if Apple was to make a strategic partnership or some strategic acquisitions and use some of their hundreds of billions of dollars in their war chest to make this work, where do you think they should start in terms of making the Apple car the car you've got to have? Who do they need to work with? Or maybe more importantly, who do they need to buy? Yeah, see, well, buying is such a tough thing because every time there's a semi-successful or semi-optimistic car company these days, their valuation is just so big. Like Rivian, for instance, is worth millions and millions. I don't, maybe they're worth billions of this. I think they're worth billions. I, I think Rivian is almost at a trillion valuation. Either way, it's Crazy. way too much money. Yeah. <laughs> um, GM, I mean, they could probably buy it technically, but that's super expensive. Ford, like these are all just too big of companies. I mean, yeah, maybe they could do like Lucid, but then the cars are too expensive. Like I don't see who they could actually purchase that would really help them in any way because it's too much money and for too little return because they would, if they were going to buy someone, they would need someone with all the good tech and there's really only a few companies out there that are doing that right now. Um, and maybe there's some future company that would pop up that would be good. But then at that point, it's like probably Apple could already do that by themselves. I don't know. I think what makes more sense, but no, well, kind of backing up to what you're saying, though, I think they are very much in the same situation here where they're going to be too late to the game. And what are they offering? Like, OK, they're going to partner with, let's just say, for instance, they're going to partner with Hyundai or Kia and make a real car 
okay, it's the Apple car. What does that mean? What does that get us? Because let's look at the future of cars. What is the goal here? We want obviously electric, um, some kind of performance number, something fun, you know, that's part of the draw of electric cars. We also want the technology behind it, which I think is the biggest thing, which is the self-driving software and the, you know, safety and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you obviously want the car to be good, which I think they would very easily pull off, uh, especially with Hyundai, because Hyundai's cars lately have been very good. But it's like, okay, that's fine, but every other car is doing the same thing, right? Rivian's doing the same thing, Tesla's doing the same thing, GM's doing the same thing, Ford's doing the same thing. They're all in the same boat. Um, and most of those other companies actually have prototypes on the road that you can talk about and see. So what would Apple even be offering here? Like what, what would they, do? except for like, I get in and my iOS software suddenly pops up on the screen. Like what else are they offering? That's sort of the billion dollar question. By the way, Rivian market cap as of right now is wrong. 120 billion. I don't know where I saw a trillion. But anyways, Rivian's still doing great. Um, that's sort of what I was just thinking about. I don't know because everybody's got their own driver assistance package, whether it's autopilot or full self-driving, whatever they call it. Everybody's got their own tech. CarPlay is not an Apple car exclusive because it's on almost every manufacturer yeah. these days. So I don't know what the ecosystem play is with the Apple car. Maybe they take the Tesla approach where you don't go through a dealership and there's no haggle and it's sort of easy. You can like customize yeah, it that, online and go that everyone way. Everyone does that already. Maybe there's there's got to be some kind of software experience that I can't think about that would make it a big draw. But I just I don't know. That's where I sort of get a little concerned about the Apple car is when they eventually do launch, no matter how great it is looking and the design and the tech, I cannot think of what it could offer that another company isn't already doing or what they won't be doing in the next year or two and eventually beat Apple to market. Yeah. And you know, this is where I think Apple may be kicking themselves because we got all those rumors that they were at least thinking about purchasing Tesla back in the day. And I feel like if they actually did that, they would the they would be much closer to having a real product. Well, I guess if they bought Tesla, they would already have a real product. But you get what I'm saying, like uh, a, a very full featured product, uh, kind of like what they're possibly looking to build now. But at this point, Tesla's worth over a trillion. You're not buying Tesla. <laughs> Maybe there is a strategic partnership there that they could do, like. Obviously, one of, I think one of the best things, we both have Model 3s, one of the best things about the car is the software experience. I think it's still the best in the industry, even after all these years. Um, it's just very smooth. It's fluid. It's pretty intuitive. Once you like actually take a second to figure out what it's doing, then you, you learn it really quickly. Um, but there are things like it doesn't have CarPlay. It doesn't have a lot of software features that you would think maybe it should have, uh, like I know there was a rumors and there's promise of an app store coming that just hasn't happened yet, but it's like, there's so much that the screen can do that you would think it would be able to do, but it just doesn't do whether that's because Tesla's focused on other things or if it's because, um, they don't want you to do that in the car, but I don't think it's that. I think it's, they're, they're just focused on other things. So imagine a strategic partnership where, you know, Apple's the certified software of, the infotainment system, not the behind the scenes software, um, but the, you know, infotainment part. So let's get your help with, you know, integrating your phone or, you know, the Bluetooth key, which they now are using NFC, like let's partner on that. Um, maybe they could do that. And then for return, then they kind of partner with the full self-driving hardware. And maybe in the future, 
then Apple and Tesla go in on their robo-taxi plans because there were plans or rumors that Apple was going that route with their car project where you're not going to be buying a car, but you're going to be essentially using an Uber service, um, but it's just all Apple cars. Tesla's doing the same exact thing with the robo-taxi fleet. It's like they have the same goals. It's just almost like it's too late for Apple to get involved now. (laughs) I 100% agree. And I actually think something you said just a moment ago, maybe is Apple's sort of foot in the door into this industry. Maybe it's the App Store. We know that the iPhone revolutionized phones and they did a lot of cool things, but the App Store still continues to be one of Apple's biggest contributions to smartphones and really computers and um, tablets and that whole industry as a whole. If Apple was to uh, release a car that had a more robust app store that allowed apps to do more than what they would just do on CarPlay, you know that developers would flock to it. So you know that they'd have the developer community behind them. Is there something that the Apple car could do in terms of software, whether it's like some killer app or the app store? That would be a nice draw, but I'm just not sure that's enough to get people to buy the car simply for the apps. But uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was enough for the iPhone. Could it be enough for a car? But I guess you're comparing apples to oranges because, you know, this is $1,000. An Apple car could be $50,000. You know, that's interesting because the App Store, like you said, definitely revolutionized everything. Um, would it work for a car? As you excuse the leaf blower that's in the background. Sorry. Um, maybe, but it's like you need the car first, right? Like you need the actual software there or not the software, but the hardware that the software runs on. And I don't know if it's a big enough draw, to be honest. The other thing I was thinking of, though, that may be a good draw or a good thing that Apple would be able to provide, which I don't know if they're looking to get into this industry, maybe too early, but I think maybe they could, is the chip chip hardware. I mean, they're making mm. this software, they're making, or I keep saying software, they're making this hardware that is clearly very good, very efficient. Um, and imagine that running your infotainment system or running your self-driving software. I mean, that is something that I think they could very quickly implement into someone's car, whoever that may be, and they would have a huge leg up. Because, I I mean, besides Tesla, if you get into pretty much every other car, even the Rivian, there's always one issue with them, and usually it's the software. Like the Rivian very much copied Tesla's look and feel, and they say that. That's not like a secret. They did that on purpose because they really like it, which I like the way it looks. But then you actually see it working, and it's janky. It's not optimized. That's Apple's bread and butter. You have the excellent hardware and the software layer on top of it, and they work perfectly together. You would have the perfect you know, infotainment system there. But it's just like I don't see what's in it for anyone else to let Apple be part of that. You know, like, I don't see what the what the draw is. So here's a question. Let's imagine a scenario, despite all the issues that would happen and all the PR stuff, in 2017 or 2018, in the dark days of Model 3 production, when the rumored talks between Elon Musk and Tim Cook tried to happen, apparently, let's say that Apple bought Tesla. In 2018, they bought the company that at that point was making three cars, the S, the X, and the 3. And despite all the headaches and everything that came with that, Apple bought Tesla. Where would we be now in 2021 going to 2022? Do you think that it would be, I guess, a couple of things. Do you think that Elon Musk would still be involved? 
do you think that the Tesla cars would still look and function the same way? Or do you think Apple would have discontinued the Tesla name and sort of brought in a new era, ushered in the era of the Apple car and sort of folded Tesla into Apple as an Apple brand or just sort of kept them as their own entity eventually going to produce the Apple car? Where do you think if let's say that was to all happen, everything went down as as planned and it was all perfect, where do you think Tesla and Apple would be today? And would we have Apple cars on the road now, what, three, four years later? So I'll answer that in maybe two ways. What I think they would have done is probably not what I what I would have hoped. So what I hope they would have done is that the they would kind of do what they did with Beats. So they bought Beats. It's its own brand still. It's still doing its own thing. Obviously, Apple has some involvement there. But then they kind of use that tech and that knowledge, maybe, maybe not, but to make their own product, which is the AirPods. And now we have almost two product lines. So let's say they bought Tesla, then they would have the Model 3, Model S, Model X. Those would still have their own development. But then Apple would use all of that infrastructure and all that tech to then create their own version that is completely Apple, which would probably mean, uh, well, maybe it would, and maybe that would mean that like for this full self-driving stuff, maybe the Apple car would be the first one that really had the full self-driving stuff in it. And they would use the rest of the cars for development, something like that. I don't know if that's what they actually would have done. I think that would have made the most sense if they actually went through it. What do you think? That actually makes a whole lot of sense. I think that that, is probably the most likely scenario that Tesla and Apple coexist, but the Tesla brain trust is moved over to Apple and yeah. Apple sort of has first dibs over everything they do. Obviously, the big issue with Tesla is Elon Musk. And there's all these rumors about, well, would Elon be involved? Would he not be involved? I could see a world where Elon is still involved and an influential part of Tesla, but his tweets would have to be reined in and there would definitely be some Apple PR training there because <laughs> Apple is so They're particular so picky, yeah. about every little thing that goes on. So in that case, in that sense, I don't think it would make sense, but I actually think that would be, you know, probably the best case scenario. And that really would have set Apple up to be a leader in this industry. And not only would they have had all the tech, but they would have had manufacturing facilities ready to go. They would have experts. They would have everything they would need to get this going. They would have sort of at the snap of a finger. They could sort of do this now with uh, facilities and sort of resources from Hyundai and Kia and others. But if they were to buy their own car company, they sort of have full control end-to-end, something we know Apple loves. And I think that would have made the most sense. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. It would have made a lot of sense for them to buy Tesla because they're so similar in so many ways. But now I just think it's going to be so tough for Apple to not only make this car real, but to actually convince people why they need to buy it. And Apple in the car industry is going to be something very interesting to see. And it's going to be tough, especially how late it looks like they're going to be. Yeah, I mean, what's the latest rumor? Like 2025 at the very earliest? Like maybe we'll see something in 2025? I mean, by then, I mean, okay, so we both have the full self-driving beta in our cars. What do you think by 2025 that software is going to look like from a Tesla perspective? Well, I'm incredibly, I'm optimistic and excited about what Tesla is doing. For better or worse, they have tried a lot of things in public, which I got to give them credit for. And the full self-driving beta is 
pretty good. It's not get in your car, sit back and relax, and the car will drive you, but it's closer to that point than ever before. And if Tesla has made, just think about 2018 to 2021, three years, Tesla's certainly done a lot in the next three or four years before Apple car rolls off the production line, I think Tesla's going to continue to do even more, especially if they continue to offer more options, if the prices eventually come down or they offered like the Model 2, that's the $25,000, $30,000 Tesla. Apple is going to have some serious competition. And again, I think it all comes down to what can Apple offer when this car comes out that others cannot. And as time goes by, it's going to be harder and harder and harder for them to find that special thing that the competition is not already doing in one way or another. Yeah, exactly. That's really, it's the same Apple TV problem. Like they're just going to be too late. Now, will they be able to compete? I'm sure, I'm sure they will be able to, but it's like, I, I don't see what they would be offering that would be any different than what everyone else is trying to offer. And I guess, Maybe we can transition from there into a different product that is supposed to be coming sooner, um, but is another thing that many other companies are trying to get into, and that is this VR slash AR headset. Now, I think the recent rumors that may, I mean, they keep saying this, but like next year, we're going to maybe see it with the iPhone 14. I don't know if, if that's exactly going to be true, but apparently there was another rumor that it's into the phase uh, very similar to when the Apple Watch was very close to being released and the headset is now in that phase. So apparently we're going to be seeing it very soon. Um, now, this is a partnership that I think they could do with this VR slash AR headset that maybe wouldn't help Apple at all, but it would help the other company, and that's Facebook. They just announced their metaverse, uh, which is kind of you know living in the matrix, which is the kind of their goal here. They obviously have Oculus, which I guess now they don't call Oculus. What do they call it now? It's like Meta, uh, Meta something. Are, yeah, yeah something like that. They dropped the Oculus name. Um, but this is a partnership that if Facebook didn't suck so much, I feel like actually it would be perfect because Facebook has all the people, it has the ecosystem, it has the social network, and then Apple could really bring the great tech to it, especially when it comes to AR. Because I think VR, Oculus does a pretty good job at, uh, at doing that. But when it comes to AR, Apple, I think, is going to be really ahead of the game because you can see all the baby steps that they're doing now to get to that point. But then we get to the point where Facebook kind of sucks, and I don't think I don't think it would be a good thing for Apple. It would be a great thing for Facebook. I don't think it would be a great thing for Apple. I will say if there's one thing on this list where Apple has a real opportunity to shine and they don't need anybody, it would probably be this headset thing. We know this has been under development for a while. We know that Apple has some of the best minds in the world working on this, and I could totally see them launching this with no help from anybody else. And the yeah. advantages Apple has here that Facebook doesn't is, one, people don't hate Apple. Well, some do, but not everybody, not the majority of people who hate Facebook. But also they would deliver really great premium hardware, and also they've got the software backbone. They've got a huge developer community that are chomping at the bits to write apps for this thing, and it's rumored to support apps. And I think that this is an area where Apple could go out on a limb and do their own thing, and they probably really don't need Facebook. They don't need anybody. They could probably deliver a nice standalone package that enough people would buy. The question is, though, as these become more commonplace and you have the metaverse and you have all these different apps and stuff like that and services, sort of where Apple falls in the line on this and sort of who they partner with sort of long-term, and I think there will be some sort of long-term strategic partnerships but as it stands right now, it seems like this is obviously closer than anything else to launching. Do you think Apple has 
the talent and the hardware and the software enough of an ecosystem play of their own to sort of launch this by themselves on their own and get enough people interested to actually buy it. Uh, I totally think so. I think Apple can do this on their own, no problem. The only reason I even brought up Facebook is because obviously they're trying to do the same thing. Um, but, you know, in the past, Apple has always kind of wished that they had a social network and has never worked. We all remember Ping, which was a completely disaster. And I feel like that would that would almost really set off what you possibly could do with a product like this is, is if you can interact with your friends and stuff. But at the same time, they also have like iMessage and they have those kind of products and FaceTime and stuff where I think that's almost enough of a reason, especially when you look at things like SharePlay. Like imagine I have my AR headsets, I'm watching a you know show on the TV and then suddenly I can just see my friends in my peripheral. Like that's cool. That's something they could easily do with uh, their own products. They don't have to have anything third party or anything like that. That's all just their stuff that they're already making now it just would suddenly work in the AR world. So I think they could totally pull it off themselves. And I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to just do it on their own. But yeah, I think you kind of said it, this, this uh, software platform and then the apps that they have and the developers, that's really their, their key to success here. I mean, you know, it's you have to really think about why are they pushing this so hard and why are they trying to get all these developers to make AR for your phone? Like it's not a good experience on your phone, but clearly it's because they're going to flip a switch one day and suddenly all these apps are going to work on your face. And once that happens, I think, I think you're in. This has been like rumored for years and years and years that Apple was working on this. And it seems like, again, we are closer than ever before to actually seeing this. And there's not a whole lot we actually know. We've seen like know. no renders or like leaked photos of this. We know that it's going to have a bunch of cameras and sensors. I think it's like dual high res OLED panels at some crazy resolution. Rumored price tag for this is like $2,000. So it's not going to be cheap. But uh, as little as we know about this, I am just super excited to finally see this. And obviously, Apple has been building to a big. Um, I don't know what the word is. They've been building to something with all this AR and VR stuff. And hopefully next year we finally see what all of this sort of groundwork has been laid uh, for. And it's got to be something really cool with this headset. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, every because, you know, the AR demos and this in these presentations that they always do are always the most boring part. But once you can actually see it on your face, it's going to be probably the most exciting part like wow i can finally do that you know like there's very easily a world world where the ar stuff is the most exciting part of all of these presentations and really your phone is like almost the computer in your pocket and then you don't even touch it because everything is just in the world and you're using it i'm excited for that there's a lot of parts that really need to work for it to actually you know go well and happen correctly but if there's a company that can pull it off i think it's apple because I think step one is having really good hardware, and there's not that many companies that can do that. Apple is definitely one of them, though. I'm excited. I uh, am uh, saving my pennies now so I can buy one of these things because it's gonna be it's gonna be expensive. But I think this is gonna be one of those things that comes along every few years, or I guess even fewer than that. Well, let's say once a decade. That really is like this is supposed to be Apple's next big thing. It was the iPhone. It was the Apple Watch. The iPad. We really haven't had one of these totally new things in quite some time. Even Apple Silicon is great, but it's not really this new thing. This is it's like an iteration, be, yeah. Yeah, this is supposed to be 
sort of the next big thing, the next one more thing. So I'm super, super excited yeah. for that. And like even it's like almost if it works, it's like the scale of the iPhone. Like this is a world revolutionary, like changes how we live and work and literally everything we do will be affected by it. And whether or not Apple is the one that's successful, uh, it is going to happen probably. And Apple, I think, has the best chance of making a really good version of it. Uh, so, yeah, I I'm excited for it. But yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. Saving my money because it's going to be expensive. I mean, when you get to try one of these, and I know, again, I guess we should clarify, this headset I think is supposed to be mixed reality. So it's like AR right. and VR. I haven't had a lot of experience with AR products, but I have gotten to play with like the Oculus Quest, which is VR. And I will say, when you get to try one of those cool experiences that's wireless, like the PSVR is cool, but you're tethered. If you try like an Oculus Quest or something similar where you have this wireless experience, you got the headset on your head and you got these controllers, it is an experience unlike anything else, especially with the right games. It's got its quirks. It's not always perfect, but it's really, really fun. And I think that this is going to totally, if done right, like Matt said, totally be one of those things where everybody in the next 10 years has some version of this AR, VR headset, and you can do things that you just could never do before. Yeah. Man, I'm excited. You know, we were trying to think of what areas Apple's going into that would possibly need help. Those are really the two that we can think of. But if you think of any other areas that Apple is working on that maybe they should buy a company for or they should strategically partner with someone or you just want to talk about what they're doing up upcoming let us know hit that hotline we'd love to hear from you about all of that i think real quick before we end though we we were talking about this last week before the show and that was home kit one thing i've noticed uh not a ton of people are doing but i've noticed it on twitter from a few of our colleagues that are in the same space is that there's quite a few people switching over to HomeKit. Now, I did this a few months ago. You just did this uh, a few weeks ago, right? Yeah. Um, or at least you're in the process of doing that. I saw a few other people do the same thing. What has your experience been? Because HomeKit is one of those things that, again, this is kind of a theme with this with this whole thing, but Apple's kind of late to the game. They, the Google ecosystem, the Alexa ecosystem was kind of up and running for a while there. And then Apple finally made it. And then when they did, it was proprietary where like you had to sign up for it. You had to have certain parameters. But now that we're kind of past those hiccups, it seems like maybe you don't think this, but I think this and from the people switching, it seems like it's the best option. Like it, it's like the most reliable and I think the products that work with HomeKit are the most high quality. What do you think? I think that the HomeKit ecosystem and the Home app is another area where a lot of people to see that on their phones, they just don't understand what it is. And this It is, is an, very confusing. <laughs> it's another thing where Apple has pushed this and they've spent a lot of time, even in their keynotes, talking about this HomeKit connection and the different devices. And you kind of have to be a little into the idea of smart home stuff to understand it. But once you do, like you said, I definitely think the HomeKit stuff is the way to go. I think particularly, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the requirements of HomeKit devices is that they have to work standalone. They cannot yeah. require a hub or third-party devices to work. And I think that's where the smart home stuff is eventually going to get better is that when you have these devices that work and function and are easy to set up like normal, regular products, dumb products, but when paired with HomeKit and other sort of services can become smart super easily. 
And that's why I think HomeKit is so cool is because they're one of the only ones not only doing this secure, uh, securely and reliably, but they're sort of making it so these devices have to work sort of in a dumb mode, but can also transition to a smart mode as well. And uh, before I get into my sort of hodgepodge, because I don't have a bunch of smart home stuff, Matt, what do you have in sort of your smart home uh, sort of inventory? I know people, some people are like all in on smart home stuff. Everything is connected and wired together. I have like a couple of different things. So sort of what is your uh, smart home list of things that you use all the time? Yeah, so mine's really a bunch of lighting stuff mainly. That's really all I use. So I have different light switches. Instead of uh, changing bulbs, which I, I think a lot of people do, I actually opted to just change the light switch itself because I don't want to change all the bulbs. They get kind of expensive, especially for high-quality ones. And I was fine with the bulbs that I had already. So I changed the light switches uh, in all the rooms um, so that I can just tell the lights to turn on. Um, and then I have like accessory lights. So I have like the nano leaf elements, which is, you know, those panels that you put on the wall that change colors and stuff. Um, so those kind of things. Now, the other thing I did, which you did too, is I, I've had a bunch of non HomeKit compatible devices for a long time, particularly nest the nest, um, thermostat is one of my favorite home products ever. And I just don't want to use like an Ecobee. I don't like the Ecobee in comparison to the Nest. So what I've done is I have a Synology NAS, which I think is exactly what you did too. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's that's uh, basically a bank of hard drives with a, with a little computer built in that you can access from anywhere. It's connected to the internet. Um, and there's a piece of software called Homebridge that you can actually install on the NAS. And then suddenly you have a kind of a server that can run these non HomeKit devices, but it almost tricks HomeKit into thinking they are HomeKit devices. So once I have that up and running, I can then, you know, install the Nest, uh, what would you call it? The What are the little plug programs in. that they have? The plugin, yeah, there you go. And then now, suddenly I have a Nest thermostat in my HomeKit app and it knows it's a Nest, it looks like a Nest, it does all the same stuff, it just controls it through the HomeKit system. So once I did that, like I was really all in. Yeah, I did the exact same thing. I'm using, I think there's Homebridge, I think there's like HomeOS, and then I'm using Hoobs, H-O-O-B-S. And like Matt said, you can run this, I think, on your Mac or PC. It just has to be yeah, running somewhere. Yeah, a bunch of places you can run it. Yeah. Um, I'm also running it on the Synology. And basically, like Matt said, it sort of is like this bridge that'll translate these non-HomeKit devices sort of into a language that HomeKit can understand and control. So technically, you're sort of cheating the system a little bit because they're not HomeKit compatible out of the box, and you have to have this little computer running all the time to like sort of make that translation happen. But when it does work, it works really well. So same for me. I have some lights in my office here that are LifeX bulbs that do not – or actually – some LifeX bulbs, I think, do support HomeKit, but these are the older ones, ones that do, don't. Yeah. These older ones don't. Uh, and some other like random bulbs uh, that don't. I have a Nest thermostat as well. And then I also have a Ring Video doorbell. All of these do not support HomeKit. But with Hoobs and Homebridge and stuff like that, you can sort of make that translation happen. And they just pop up right within the Home app. And then you have full control anywhere you go with your iPhone, which is kind of nice because it's all consolidated in one place. It's kind of one of the benefits of the HomeKit thing is it's all in the Home app. You can set automations and stuff like that. Um, you have the ability to um, obviously do all the controls. It's just sort of a really nice sort of home ecosystem to have. And it's a good sort of weekend project. It doesn't take all that long. It's a little tricky to get it installed on the computer you have and sort of get the plugins up and running and get everything sort of, um, sort of full speed. Uh, but once you do, it's pretty seamless and really works really well. 
and I've sort of uh, enjoyed having everything sort of in one app and having all these controls at my fingertips and being able to see sort of my Ring video doorbell pop up uh, in the home app on my Mac or on my Apple TV. That is super cool. And uh, these third-party systems are getting better and better. So don't think that you have to scrap everything. I see a lot of people going, okay, I have to get rid of everything and totally rebuy everything with HomeKit support. That's an option. But if you don't want to do that and you've already made these investments, just look at something like a HomeBridge or a Hoobs that'll make this translation happen. And as long as you're sort of a little techie and you've got your computer ringing all the time, you're, you'll be good to go. Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's worth looking into for sure. And the reason that I decided to make the switch, I don't know what your reason exactly was, but um, really was that I had all the home, Google Home, or I guess they call it Nest Home now. I had all those devices. I had the minis, I had the regular, I had the screens, I had everything. But the issue was that, you know, when I would talk to Google Assistant, half the time it just would not respond. It would really annoy me that it wouldn't hear me every single time with the HomePod, the original and the mini, I can literally whisper it, or maybe not whisper it. Let's not over-exaggerate here. I can talk in a normal voice with volume full blast. So let's say I'm listening to music or something. I can have the volume all the way up. I can talk to it in a normal voice, and it hears me from across the room every single time. I've tried this in multiple different apartments and townhomes, and it works. So that's what made me want to switch. And once I discovered all this hoobs and this HomeKit stuff, I was full in. Yeah, I actually do not own a single Siri smart speaker yet. I just have like a hodgepodge of like uh, Echo devices. But um, it was kind of that same thing is I wanted to consolidate everything into one place. And also I just was like, oh, like this would be kind of fun to do. I hear everybody's talking about how HomeKit is getting better and better. It's like the one system to use. And once I saw how easy it was to convert the devices I have over to HomeKit, I kind of was like, why not? It took like a half hour on a Saturday and it was kind of sort of fun to do. So that was my reasoning for it. And um, curious to see where HomeKit goes. Obviously, this is a area where Apple has been a little late, like you said, but also they're making a lot of um, benefits to the system that draw more and more manufacturers to develop for HomeKit. I think there are even some smart home manufacturers that develop exclusively HomeKit yep. devices. So super cool to see that. I am all in for the smart home future and uh, curious to see sort of how this plays out. And I definitely, uh, my next move or whenever I can sort of permanently settle in, I want to do the lights. I want to do the cameras. I want to go all out on sort of building kind of like a uh, snazzy uh, sort of the ultimate Apple smart home. Exactly. So it's on my bucket list. Yeah, no, that's, that's the hard part is because we rent and, uh, so it's like, how deep do I want to go into this? Because at some point I'm going to have to rip it all out because we're going to move. And then it's like, ah, it's such a pain. But once we buy a house, which we're looking to do, that's kind of one of the things I'm most excited for is to really dial every single thing in because right now it's just, it's like investment for no purpose, really. Yeah. It's like, it's just more fun to do. I'm excited for that. And plus we have all the rumors of like home OS, which has been that, that new software or whatever that is ends up being, uh, has been rumored for a long time. So I'm excited. Apple's doing some good stuff in the home and uh, just overall. So curious, uh, have you set up a smart home of your own? Have you gone to the HomeKit ecosystem? This is sort of, I think, a little bit more niche, but curious, what are your thoughts? As always, we want to hear from you guys. Let us know at the number down below or it's on screen, 949-354-3508. Matt, again, weird week. This is going to be the slow period of Apple news. We sort oh, of, yeah. we relaunched at the best time because things were crazy and now... This is sort of uh, what the normal uh, times will be like for the next couple of weeks and months as we sort of await for the next Apple event. But I think that about does it for this week. Matt, any, any closing thoughts you have for this week's episode? 
No, but uh, we really would appreciate it if you send us any suggestions because next week is Thanksgiving week, which means it's going to be extra slow. But we're still going to have an episode for you, so uh, we'll join you or we'll see you next time. See you next week on the next episode of the Apple Circle Podcast.